0: You are listening to a sermon by Dr. Richard Caldwell, produced by Walking in Grace. Walking in Grace is a listener-supported ministry. If you'd like to know how you can help these messages reach more people, visit walkingingrace.org. It's good to see you. If you would please join with me in turning to the Gospel of Matthew chapter 10. Matthew chapter 10, tonight we come to the 40th verse we will read to verse 42 Matthew chapter 10 verse 40 Our Lord said this to his disciples He who receives you receives me and he who receives me receives him who sent me He who receives a prophet in the name of a prophet shall receive a prophet's reward and he who receives a righteous man in the name of a righteous man shall receive a righteous man's reward, and whoever in the name of a disciple gives to one of these little ones even a cup of cold water to drink, truly I say to you, he shall not lose his reward. Let's go to our God together in prayer and ask for his help and his blessing. Thank you, Lord, for the opportunity we have now to open your word together again. Thank you for my brothers and sisters, their love for you, their love for our Savior, their love for your word, their love for one another. Thank you, Lord, for these times when our souls can be fed in ways that convict us and correct us, in ways that encourage us and strengthen us, in ways that you use to maintain us. Lord, in all of these ways, your word does its work in our lives, and we are grateful. We will thank you for what you do in our hearts tonight. Lord, may this evening contribute to that ongoing work of conformity to the image of Jesus. We pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen. When Saul of Tarsus met Jesus on the road to Damascus, he met with a surprising question Saul Saul why are you persecuting me Immediately Saul was aware that he was meeting with divine power That question led to a question of his own Saul Saul why are you persecuting me Saul then asked this he said who are you lord Who are you lord aware of he's meeting with the Lord, but also there's something going on in his mind and in his heart that tells him he has been mistaken. Who are you, Lord? The answer to that question would have been jarring for him for two reasons. One, he discovered that the very one whom he had disregarded whom he considered to be dead and gone, the very one whose followers to Saul represented faith in a myth, a kind of madness that had come upon those who professed to be his followers, this one was alive, had stopped him in his tracks, and really was who he claimed to be. That would have been shocking to him, jarring to him, But there's a second reason why the answer to his question would have been jarring to him. Not only was he mistaken about this one, the Lord Jesus Christ, he was also mistaken about the people he had been terrorizing. People whom he had hunted down, people whom he had harassed, people that he had a hand in murdering. Those people were really and truly the people of God. Why are you persecuting me? Saul is now aware that the Lord Jesus Christ had so identified himself with this lowly people that to persecute that people was to persecute him. Which makes it amazing some years later as he's writing in the book of Colossians, now the church's greatest missionary, the Apostle Paul, it's amazing when he writes about his own sufferings and how they're identified with the Lord Jesus. Colossians 1.24, he wrote this, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I'm filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. For the sake of his body, that is, the church. But I'm experiencing For the sake of your souls is actually something targeted at Jesus. And I'm experiencing that which has to be suffered until his purposes are complete. For the sake of his body, for the sake of his church, I suffer Christ's afflictions. When the church is persecuted, Christ is persecuted. When a disciple of Jesus Christ, an individual disciple of Jesus Christ suffers, for the gospel, for the church, that disciple suffers Christ's afflictions. This is the nature of the identification of the Son of God with His people. And that's the truth that our Lord now imparts to His disciples as He wraps up their instructions as they go out on this mission in which they will learn. He wants them to have a true sense of their identity and how it is Wrapped up with him. He who receives you receives me. He who receives me receives him who sent me. He who receives a prophet in the name of a prophet shall receive a prophet's reward. And he who receives a righteous man in the name of a righteous man shall receive a righteous man's reward. And whoever in the name of a disciple Gives to one of these little ones even a cup of cold water to drink. I say to you, truly, I say to you, he shall not lose his reward. Christ not only identifies with his people in their persecutions, he identifies with his people in their reception. He identifies with his people in their blessings. Those who reject his people reject him. Those who receive his people receive him. Those who persecute his people persecute him. Those who bless his people bless him. It's an amazing reality, a humbling reality, but it's not something new. This is something the Lord said about his people in the Old Testament. When Balaam saw that it pleased the Lord to bless Israel, He did not go, as at other times, to look for omens, but set his face toward the wilderness. And Balaam lifted up his eyes and saw Israel camping tribe by tribe. And the Spirit of God came upon him, and he took up his discord and said, The oracle of Balaam, the son of Beor. And he begins to prophesy. And at the end of that prophecy, he said this, of Israel, Blessed are those who bless you, and cursed are those who curse you. Numbers chapter 24, verse 9. Blessed are those who bless you, cursed are those who curse you. And now our identity in Jesus Christ is such that those who curse us curse him, and those who bless us bless him. His identity wrapped up with us. That's the grace of God. And that's what we're reminded about in our verses tonight. That's what we learn about in our our verses tonight. Christ and his people. Christ and And his people. The first thing I want to point out is in verse 40 the reality of identification with Christ. The fact that it's real. What Jesus says in verse 40 is simple, straightforward, uncomplicated, but it is profound. How his disciples are treated is a statement about Christ himself. And the way that Christ is regarded is a statement about his father. The Father identified with his Son, the Son identified with his people. Verse 40 He who receives you receives me, and he who receives me receives him who sent me. That's that's the Father. Now remember, Jesus has commissioned these men. They go out by his calling, his assignment. They go out with his authority, they go out carrying his message. They're identified with his name, so it shouldn't surprise us that how they're treated is a statement about him. Think about it for a moment. If a king sends an envoy, an ambassador, a herald to a particular city, and that city refuses the king's ambassador entrance, right back in this day, close the city gates, he's not allowed in, or they let him in and they ridicule him, mock him, hold him up to scorn, or they beat him imprison him, mistreat him, or perhaps they even murder him? Would the king say to himself, and would he behave in a way that would say, you know what, that was just a statement about the messenger. It's not a statement about me. I mean, I sent him with my message, with my authority. There was something he was to accomplish on my behalf. But the way you treated him was just about him. It's not about me. You know better than that. Any king would have regarded that to be a statement about His authority, the respect given to Him. What I want you to recognize from our verses is the same is true with us. We represent the Lord Jesus Christ in this world. We are His ambassadors. We are His messengers. We are His heralds. And so the way you treat the agent of Christ is the way you treat Christ. And our Lord making a statement about his own unique identity makes the point that the way you regard the Son is the way you regard the Father. Receive the Son, you receive the Father. Reject the Son, you reject the Father. Away with any thought that you can be right theologically and wrong in terms of Christology. If you don't have Jesus right, you don't have God right. Well, receive Christ's disciples and you receive Jesus. Have no regard for Christ's disciples, and you've demonstrated you have no regard for Jesus. So, the first thing you see in verse 40 is this reality of this identification by God's will, by God's choice. He has put his name on us. Second thing I want you to see not just the reality of this identification, but the reward, the reward based on identification with Christ. As our Lord has done earlier, so He does here. He now expands His comments beyond just the apostles. Verse 40, I believe, refers to the apostles. He who receives you receives me. But when you come to verse 41, our Lord expands the statement. He who receives a prophet in the name of a prophet shall receive a prophet's reward. And he who receives a righteous man. In the name of a righteous man shall receive a righteous man's reward. And whoever in the name of a disciple gives to one of these little ones even a cup of cold water to drink, truly I say to you, he shall not lose his reward. What, What is our Lord talking about with these categories? A prophet, a righteous man, A little one. What's he talking about? I think those who have attempted to make this too wooden have missed the mark. Or some who've tried to do that. We, We know what a prophet is, but what do you mean by a righteous man? And they sort of try to you know get a fixed identification for each of these categories. I think that's a mistake. I think what our Lord is saying is from the greatest to the least An apostle, a prophet, a righteous man, a little one. I mean, a new convert. I mean, someone who isn't known at all. Every one of Christ's disciples, our Lord identifies with them in a way that how you treat them is how you treat Him. All of us, all of us have this tremendous dignity that's been bestowed upon us, not because of who we are, but by the grace and mercy of God, this tremendous privilege. To have our Lord's not only His name we carry, but His care and concern for us. Wherever we are, whatever we're doing, whomever we encounter, however we are treated, there goes a child of God. There goes a disciple of Jesus Christ. There goes someone that His eye is upon them, cares for them like the apple of His eye, and takes note of how you treat them, I agree with D.A. Carson when he argues that the apostles were probably already identified with a prophet in the sense that the people hearing them would have associated their message with Christ. He re- they represent Christ. He says this, prophets are referred to not because Christian prophets are in view, but because this is an already accepted category for God's spokesman and for those with whom Jesus' followers are aligned. If you were to identify the righteous man, probably someone who, who's just known for a righteous life, a godly person, as I've already noted, the little ones, the, from the world's vantage point, the insignificant ones, or the, the lambs, the new ones, but all of us identified with Jesus. Jesus identifies Himself with us so that the reception of Christ's people, characterizes all disciples. So all the disciples, the identity of Jesus wrapped up with us, his care set upon us, and we know that and we recognize that. And what it means is we regard each other in a way that honors our Lord. We recognize in our dealings with fellow disciples that we're dealing with the children of God. We have concern for each other. We have respect for each other. We have love for each other. We want to treat each other the right way because we know that we're dealing with a fellow member of the family of God. I mention this because if you ask, who does our Lord have in mind in terms of the the people who receive these people? He who receives you. Well, who does He have in mind? Who receives such a person? I think in this context it's clear he's talking about fellow disciples. Remember earlier when he was sending the men out on the mission, he said that when you come to a city, you're to look for someone who's worthy. And that's where you're going to stay. What do you mean by someone who's worthy? Well, someone who is open to your message, who receives your message, who wants to assist you in your journey, in your assignment, in your work, in your ministry. Well, the only people who would do that are people who believe you. And here it's clear he's talking about people who believe them because notice they receive a prophet in the name of a prophet. That is to say they receive a prophet as a prophet. And they receive a righteous man as a righteous man. And they receive a little one in the name of a disciple. These are people... Who love God's people because they are God's people and they want to assist God's people in ministry. they want to help God's people advance the cause, advance the message. The people who receive these disciples are disciples. and this is what characterizes true disciples. They love their brothers and sisters and they treat them pro- they treat them in a way that reflects that. Donald Hagner wrote this, Receives means here not merely to welcome as into one's home, but to receive in a deeper sense. It is to accept the message of the disciples and thus the message of Jesus and his person, which is inseparable from the disciples' message. This message is in turn the gospel of God so that to receive it is to receive the message of God and thus to accept the grace of God. Every disciple, a child of God, carrying the name of God, with the care of God, the concern of God, every disciple knowing this is characterized by the way we treat fellow disciples. We receive them. We love them. We assist them. This is God's people helping God's (coughs) God's people. This is God's people loving God's people. This is God's people identifying with God's people. We're not ashamed of each other. We're not self-preserving when it comes to the needs represented in each other. We don't deal with this much, but one day we might. Where there's a brother or a sister that if I help them, I'm going to share in their trouble. If I assist them in ministry, for example, I'm going to share in their their mistreatment. Will I receive them? Will I help them? Will I identify with them? That's what our Lord has in mind here. And notice something wondrous. Here's something else that belongs to us. The, The identity belongs to us. The sight to see what each one of us represents in terms of identification with Christ so that to love each other is to love our Lord. Here's what else belongs to us. Participation and cooperation with each other in a way that's rewarded. This belongs to all of Christ's disciples. The privilege to cooperate together, to participate together in the work of the ministry. These verses make clear that God keeps accounts of the kind of help that's described. The person who receives a prophet receives a reward. The person who receives a righteous man receives a reward. Even if you offer just a cup of cold water to one of the little ones, our Lord says, truly I say to you, he shall not lose his reward. Who's keeping account of these things? God is keeping account of these things. And he takes note of help that is the greatest kind of help. He takes note of the kind of help that's small, just a cup of cold water. But he sees it, he knows, he takes note of it so that God rewards both the doer and the one who enables the doer. There's the prophet and there's the person who receives the prophet as a prophet. There's the righteous man and the one who receives the righteous man. There's the little one who is received as a disciple, the doers and the enablers of the doers. It's a great encouragement for us in ministry. You might never preach a sermon from a pulpit, but how many sermons did you assist with your prayers, with financial support, with encouragement? bringing people to hear, to listen. You might never go on the mission field, but how many missionaries did you assist? You might never suffer in a jail or a prison as others have, but how many sufferers have you encouraged and supported and prayed for? God's taking note of it, and He rewards it. There's some question about how to understand the reward, Some have said perhaps what he has in mind is you're actually going to receive a blessing that comes from such a category of person. The kind of blessing a prophet could convey, that's what you receive when you help them. The kind of blessing that a righteous man could convey, that's what you receive when you help them. I actually think that perhaps there's something different in view here, which is to say there's an equality about it. Whatever reward a prophet might receive, that's the kind of reward... His helpers receive. So that there's an equality in terms of the doer and the one who enables the doer. Both are equally important. Both are equally needful. Both are equally rewarded. I think about the older people in our congregation who might get discouraged because of their physical condition or their limitations. Only heaven is going to reveal... The kind of reward that will belong to those who can barely move around, but they are praying faithfully, zealously for ministry. What kind of reward belongs to those people? People who say to themselves, you know, I don't have any great talent, but when we have the senior dinner, I'm willing to serve, I'm willing to cook. I can watch children in a nursery. Those kinds of ministries that are out of sight and perhaps by some thought to be not that important, only heaven is going to reveal the kind of reward our Lord has in store for such people. This belongs to us, you see, not just the identification that we have in Jesus Christ, not just the realization that we're dealing with fellow members of the family of God so that how we treat each other is how we're relating to our lord but the rewards gracious merciful rewards i mean the only way we're rewardable is, is that we're seen through gracious eyes but those rewards belong to all of us in whatever ways that we serve so we see the reality of identification with christ we see the reward based on identification with christ That leads third to realizations based on identification with Christ. Realizations based on these truths. If you take these truths into your heart, there are some clear applications for it. The first one is comfort. Do you sometimes, I'm speaking now to people who are suffering. I'm speaking to people who are mistreated. We talked this morning about the sword and how it divides even into family in your moments of weariness. Do you wonder if the Lord sees? If He cares? If He notices? Does He defend you? Will He defend you? These verses make so plain yes. I wonder how many believers as Saul of Tarsus is breathing out these murderous threats and actually participating in the murder of disciples, dragging men, women, and children out of their places of comfort, into places of stress. I wonder how many of those people thought, does the Lord see Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? He sees He knows. There's accountability. I think about 1 Peter chapter 3, when a wife is taught how to respond to a disobedient husband, a Christian woman who has a disobedient husband, what's she to do? And she's taught about the kind of focus she's to have, not on the external but the internal. And she's taught about the kind of godliness that, that must be on display. You can win him without a word as he sees your pure, respectful behavior. But that same chapter tells that woman not to be afraid with any fear. Why? I can tell you why. Because the Lord is her defender. And it's very interesting when you come to the end of that chapter or the end of that section what the Lord says to a husband about how to treat his wife so that his prayers will not be hindered. Oh, professing Christian, sir, do you think you can mistreat your wife and have sweet fellowship with the Lord? No, if you're the Lord's, He will discipline you if you mistreat her. The Lord will discipline us, dear ones, if we mistreat each other. Do you watch your children mistreat each other in your home and you just let it go? You love them, right? You have two boys, two little boys. You love them both, and one slaps the other one. You just let it go? No, you correct the son whom you love. Even as you protect the son whom you love. You do both. And so it is in the family of God. The Lord loves us, which is why he corrects us. So when you think about the Lord identifying with us as we're mistreated by a lost and dying world, yes, that's true. But the Lord also identifies with us so that how we treat each other matters. He doesn't ignore it. So that if a husband mistreats a wife and they're both believers, his, his prayers will be hindered. This is comfort for us. This is also courage for us. Courage for receiving the disciples of Christ. For helping people when they need help. If indeed the Lord tarries and one day we live in times of great persecution so that helping a fellow believer means trouble for us, where do we find the courage to help them? It's in the knowledge that in that moment we help them, we're serving Christ himself. Craig Bloomberg wrote this. He said, Receiving Jesus is equivalent to receiving God, but not all will meet Jesus in the flesh. Others must respond to him as they see him in his disciples. I mean, how would that change the way we behave? If to see each other, I mean, in the right kind of way, you hear me in context, but if to see each other is to see Jesus. How I treat you is how I'm treating Jesus. He says, in the context of persecution, the hospitality described here could involve harboring those wanted by authorities at considerable risk to the hosts. Why would you put yourself at risk to harbor someone whom the authorities are seeking? People who are carrying out ministry. Why would you harbor them? Because you see your Lord as you see his disciples. This doesn't just comfort us, this grants us courage. Can we see Jesus? As we think about the people being mistreated in this world for the cause of Christ, do we see our Lord in them? This also imparts to us a sense of certainty regarding the future, hope. Our Lord says in verse 42, "...Truly I say to you, He shall not lose His reward." Now that's a strong statement. It seems so simple, maybe even benign to you, but why, Lord, are you so strengthening this statement? You begin by saying, truly I say to you, even if it's just a cup of cold water, I want you to know this is true. He shall not, not in in any way, lose that reward. The only way you can say that is if Christ, His gospel, His church are certain to triumph in the end. The only way the reward can't be taken from you is if you are triumphant. You are victorious. You win. Then the reward will certainly come to you. And that's what our Lord is telling His disciples. The end is not in doubt. It's already been settled. So serve well now. Serve well in the moment. Because it's not going to be lost. To treat an apostle properly will not be lost. To treat a prophet or a righteous man or the littlest one in a way that reflects your love for Jesus, that is not going to be forfeited. Don't you know Christ is triumphant? Don't you know the church is triumphant? Don't you know the future promise to us is certain? So live like it right now. But this is also searching for us. This corrects us. If all of this is true, and it is, How often do we fail at this? Notice our Lord doesn't just take note of His people when they're persecuted. He takes note of His people when they're received, blessed. Are we missing this? Can you say that you see your brothers and sisters in their identification with Jesus? Wouldn't you agree this would change churches in terms of unity and peace? if we all treat each other in a way that we wrapped up you with Christ. How I treat you is a, is a reflection of my attitude toward my Lord. How God must be grieved when we don't treat brothers and sisters like brothers and sisters. And dear ones, what this does is it destroys the way That our world wants to stratify people, and sadly, how a worldly church wants to stratify people. All all the false concepts about unity, we we can destroy them, we can throw them out the window if we just get this truth. What nation did you come from? It doesn't matter. You're my brother. What color is your skin? It doesn't matter. You're my sister. How much money do you make? How much education do you have? How much influence do you have? What can you you give me? What can you do for me? None of it matters if I see Jesus when I see you. Are we doing that? Are we seeing people in their identification with Christ? Are we treating people in their identification with Christ? You say, well, you know... There are certain people I just more identify with their personality. We have similar personalities, likes, dislikes, sense of humor. (laughs) We're talking about Jesus, dear ones. You and I may be totally different. I may look at you and say, you're quirky. You may look at me and say, you're really quirky. It doesn't matter, does it? If you see Jesus, there's our unity, there's our oneness. There's our love. There's our interest. Christ. Helping people. Somebody has a need. You have an opportunity to give to your Lord. You have an opportunity to serve your Lord. Are you seeing it that way? I have an opportunity to serve you. You are my brother or sister. You're a fellow disciple of Jesus Christ. In this opportunity I have to serve you. I serve Him. Remind me of that next time you need help moving. (laughs) Remind me of that, please. I need the reminder. I don't even want to help my children move. But we need these reminders, don't we? When we're busy, when we're stressed, when we don't feel like there's one more thing we can add to our plate and then a need arises and we have opportunity to meet it, for a brother or a sister, do we remind ourselves this is someone Blood bought by the Lord Jesus. This also means patience. This strengthens our ability to be patient. Because even when a brother or sister fails, when they fail us, they still belong to the Lord. They are still His. How many would testify tonight, the Lord has grown you? as much through your failures as your successes. Aren't you grateful that he hasn't let go of you? Aren't you grateful that what he begins, he finishes? That when you've failed, sometimes in disastrous ways, he hasn't let go of you. So should you let go of a brother or sister? They've sinned. They've sinned against you. Hurt your feelings. Mistreated you. Spoken to you in a way they shouldn't have. Whatever the case may be. Do you see Jesus in His love for them, that He's put His name on them, that He's not finished with them? There's patience in this perspective. You hear it from the Apostle Paul in 2 Timothy chapter 4 verse 16. He writes, at my first defense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. And then he says this amazing words. May it not be charged against them. Is that our heart? There I am. I love for somebody to come stand by me, but nobody came. He uses a strong word all deserted me. And yet he says, may it not be charged against them. How do you have that perspective? Next verse. But the Lord stood by me. And strengthen me. So that through me the message might be fully proclaimed. And all the Gentiles might hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed. And bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. What you do with this perspective is not ask. Why aren't people treating me that way? The Lord will take care of you. Are you treating your brothers and sisters in a way that reflects that they belong to Christ? So he gives them their instructions. He sets their expectations. He warns them of a temptation. Be afraid of their persecutors. He gives them the foundation, the fuel to live their lives in fear of God, not fear of men and that conviction is that Jesus is truly the Messiah we know who he is and we love him and oh by the way he's put his name on you and he cares for you and you'll never suffer alone you'll never be mistreated alone everyone who rejects you rejects him everyone who receives you receives him so that you'll be able to say with Paul, the Lord stood by me, and defended me, even if everybody else deserts me. I'm not alone. You're not alone. Is there any more glorious existence than that of a Christian? Little ones of whom the Lord takes note even when someone gives them a cup of cold water. What a glorious thing God has done for us in His Son. And his church would say, let's pray. Our Father in heaven, thank you for loving us like you do. We don't deserve it, we know it. But you have loved us in your Son. And he has so identified himself with us by grace, by mercy, by salvation, that when he sends us out and gives us authority and entrusts us with a message, And we go in his name. Where we go, he goes. When mistreated, he's mistreated. When blessed, people give for his sake. Strengthen us, Lord, to see each other that way in the family of God. Even, Lord, in the the shared life that we have in our own homes, where you have a believing husband and wife, help them to see each other with those eyes. This is a child of God. And though he he loves us both, he'll not ignore it if we mistreat each other because he is a good and perfect father who disciplines his children. Help us to see our service as service to Christ. Our love for fellow disciples as love for Jesus. And in that way, Lord, may you cause your church to shine in this world in a way that embraces its identity in Jesus. We ask for these things in Jesus' name. And for Jesus' sake, for His glory, amen.